Thank you guys so much. Welcome to the Electables podcast on a rainy, sort of sleety Friday afternoon here in Washington, D.C. My name is Adrian Elrod. I'm in uh, today solo with my friend Doug Thornell is skiing right now in Jackson Hole, which I'm a little jealous um, of. But I have a very exciting episode today, um, this being International Women's Day, March 8th. We have two extraordinary women here in the studio with us. Um, the first is Amy Brandwine. She is a chef owner of Centralina in Washington, D.C., which is one of the best restaurants. For those of you who frequent restaurants in Washington, D.C., I highly recommend it. And we also have Joanna James, a first-time documentary filmmaker who is in town for her screening of her film, A Fine Line, tonight, which focuses on the disparities that women chefs face in the kitchen, I mean, in, in the restaurant business. Um, I couldn't believe this when I saw the statistic, but only, or rather less than 7% of chefs are women, um, despite women being typically the ones at home who are, you know, doing all the work in the kitchen and also doing all the cleaning and all the other stuff. So ladies, welcome. I'm so happy to have both of you today. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thank, Thank you. you. And I apologize for my voice. I'm going to say that ahead of time. I'm, I'm losing it on this screening tribute tour and across 11 states. So, Well, I was just going to say you're losing your voice because you've been to how many states in the past few days doing screenings? <laughs> Where have you been? Well, I've been in uh, Burlington, Vermont, New York, uh, Boston, tomorrow, and now D.C., which I'm really excited about tonight with Amy. Uh, we're going to honor Amy. And uh, tomorrow morning we head out to Dallas and then Denver, and I take a little break. Amazing, amazing. Well, Joanna, I just want to start with um, what inspired you to make a fine line? Well, for me, it was very personal. Uh, my mother is a 30-year restaurateur chef, so seeing what she was up against, um, you know, building her career and being raised in the restaurant industry and all the sacrifices she really had to make as a single mom and wanting to do what she loved. Um, and then it resonated even on a deeper level when I became a working mother and I realized a lot of the issues are really systematic across all industries. Um, but I think what's really great about the food industry is that it's so disarming because food is universal and we sit across from each other at a table. So it allows for us to have some big conversations on national issues, but not in a polarizing way. You know, it, it sort of makes men and women alike think about these things. Right. And what impact, Joanna, do you hope this film has on those who view it? You know, what do you want people to walk away feeling and being inspired to do at the conclusion of your film? Well, the first is for women themselves, um, that we give ourselves permission to just go for it and not hear the voices that sometimes we do of self-doubt or, you know, granting ourselves permission. Because sometimes, especially as mothers, we think, um, you know, we can't, how are we going to do it all? How are we going to raise our kids? And, you know, can I make time for myself? So in one part, you know, having these screenings and conversations is really good for um, just a lot of women talking about these things. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is really trying to figure out what we can do as a society to, uh, to, to now make it a more level playing field. Things like paid family leave. The U.S. is the only industrialized country that doesn't offer paid family leave. Which drives me crazy. Right. So uh, affordable, accessible child care, um, mentorship, you know, a lot of issues that we can do a lot more for. And now that women are at the forefront, I think uh, finally we're having these important dialogues. That's right. 
Um, so, Amy, what inspired you to join Joanna at the film tonight? And, and talk to me a little bit about, um, as a very successful business owner and obviously um, a chef and, and as well, tell me what policies you want to see changed. I mean, how do you feel about a lack of paid family medical leave? Is that something that, you know, you see as being a hindrance to women in, in your industry? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's very hard um, to work in the hospitality industry and 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 juggle that with a family life, you know. Um, especially as a woman, I mean, how are you, how are you gonna, you know, cook the line, have kids, and and then go back to work? Um, most of the hours, at least in my my business, my kind of restaurant, it's uh, a chef typically works, you know. 10 in the morning to 11 at night. That's mm. a typical day. So how are you going to fit that into, you know, having a family? So um, in terms of fine line, this is sort of my entire, <laughs> my entire, uh, you know, I guess the last 20 years of my life. Right. So I'm really excited to um, see a movie or documentary, I should say, about how other chefs or what their viewpoints are, what they're dealing with and, and how really how to move forward because, you know, if you want to increase the representation of women in the industry, you know, we have to try to figure out how to make it work for women, I guess. And so on that note, Amy, how do you do it? I mean, how do you balance work life and family life? Well, your demanding job and the fact that, you know, you, this is your restaurant. This is your baby. If you're not involved in this, um, <laughs> what happens to the restaurant? You've got to be involved in, in your home life and at the restaurant too. How do you do it? Um, well, you know, I think uh, I'll, I'll give a hat tip to Danny Meyer where he said there's no such thing as work-life balance, and <laughs> that might not be what you want to hear. But, um, you know, I think the first – it's very hard. I mean, um, the first step, though, is, um, you know, for me, was the first step to controlling my life was to own my own business because um, I knew that it would just be the same being the rat race on the – you know, I'd be going round and round with the same schedule, and people would tell me if I can have Saturday night off or Friday night off, and I wouldn't be able to make any choices unless I was in charge. So that was the first step. And then in terms of, like, how to free up your schedule, I'm just – you know, I'm just starting to do that now, but it's a really it's a really big challenge. You have to be able to build a team, and, right. you know, you have to grow infrastructure – to be able to do the things that I'm doing now. And it's taken me, quite frankly, it's taken me four years to get to this point. Which is actually pretty good. It is. <laughs> I don't know, say, the, the people I have, talk to. Right, right. The fact that you have a, a balance itself is, is incredible. Um, so, Joanna, one of, the, um, one of the aspects of your documentary that when you and I were talking about um, this on the, on the initial onset that really, um, you know, that, 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 touched me is the fact that, you know, you had done all the filming, what, in 2014, maybe the beginning of 2015, mm -hmm. and you had everything kind of ready to, to go to get the film moving, and then the Me Too movement happened in 2017. Um, you decided to go back and do some additional filming because you felt it was so relevant to the food industry, given a litany of, of course, you know, from Mario Batali to other um, prominent chefs and um and who tend to be men, frankly, who were in this. What? Why did you decide that that was so important to include in the film? 
Well, I not only went and did more filming, but the film was, for all intents and purposes, complete. I mean, we edited. It was a locked picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did the film festival circuit. But then, exactly like you said, uh, the Me Too movement happened, and it directly affected the culinary industry. So it didn't sit right with me not to address it and not to especially call out some of these figures and what women had been going through. It didn't change the course of the film. The film at heart is very inspiring and an uplifting story and sort of just hearing from these amazing women as to what they do and, and how they, um, you know, rose up in the ranks. But it just shows a, a different lens as to if we, you know, what could have happened to a lot of women and what obviously has happened that we know um, where men have exploited their power. And uh, and so I think it just added a more well-rounded picture. And, and now we're done. And so this screening tribute tour we're doing um, is really releasing the film for the first time in its entirety. So basically, women don't have family leave, and then you also have to deal with the Me Too movement. So it's like <laughs> continuous assault on women, right? And especially in the restaurant industry, like you said, because a lot of um, you know management that is mostly male uh, would you know, dictate a woman's schedule, you know, especially front of the house, uh, what shift she would work, you know, if, mm-hmm. if they don't enact in this flirting or even worse than that in some times, you know. So um, so it's really amazing to see a lot of women come together now. And, and we're talking about things that, number one, are probably still happening, but to the extent that were happening up until a couple years ago in New York City. Right. So this isn't With just... prominent chefs yes, in New York City. Yes. So, um, so it's, it's great that finally these people have been called out. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, when, when the Me Too movement really took place, I was stunned, and I think a lot of people were stunned, um, how much this was happening, not just in politics and media, but in the culinary industry and in the finance industry. I mean, all of these, you know, people came forward, and it was it was quite something. Um, Amy, do you think, is the Me Too movement, to your knowledge, has that, has that impacted the culinary industry in Washington at all? I mean, completely seen, yeah it turned it upside down yeah it's the best thing <laughs> the best thing <laughs> maybe not for some of these gentlemen but it's been the best thing for uh you know the industry and uh it was really the catalyst that that made all the changes so um i have to say like if this had not erupted we might be in the same place that we were a few years ago so um now you know this is really obviously like an issue people are really paying attention um, I think hopefully eventually people will understand that it's really good for the bottom line. <laughs> I mean, in terms yeah. of like their businesses, you know, mine's thriving. Of course. I mean, we are just busting at the seams. And I think a lot of part of it is because, um, you know, I'm a female owner and I run things in a happy, good way. We, we achieve results. But I think like to your point about the Me Too is that um, we've seen numerous of our own situations in Washington with some chefs and um some major catastrophes that they've had because they have been um, called out for having, you know, very unpleasant workplaces. So, um, you know, I'm really thankful for this coming out. Like, I never thought I would see the day that any of this was discussed. I never thought that a woman chef would be celebrated. I never thought there would be pressure on media and everybody else to really look at women, um, say, really, are we part of this? Are we... Are we not um, doing what we're supposed to be doing? Are we keeping women down? So, I mean, it's been an amazing, amazing two years. I mean, 
just thrilling, actually. Well, and the thing that I find so fascinating, too, is that um, a lot of this spawned from the fact that Donald Trump was elected president. <laughs> Not to get too political with the two of you today, but, you know, I don't know that this would have sparked the fervor that it did had Hillary Clinton been in office, because I think so many people were looking for some form of justice in their own lives that they were had experienced in the workplace um, and, of course, the Harvey Weinstein story the New York Times did, the expose on him really helped get the ball rolling on all of this. Um, Amy, I want to turn again back to paid leave because this is something that is a female who's been working on. I don't have kids, so in full disclosure, but it does um, really annoy me <laughs> as a woman that, you know, the burden is always on the women, right, Without, especially without a paid family medical leave um, policy at the federal level. Um, if they're, you know, if a child is sick or if something happens, yeah, sure, you can take, you've got up to three months a year that you can take off, but your employees or employer rather is not required to, to pay you. How do you handle this with your own employees? Because you obviously run a small business, but it's a very good business and very reputable business. But how do you handle this when your employees um, have, have, issues to well take care of. i mean uh i will say that i think there have been changes uh i don't want to misspeak but there's been change in the dc um government employment laws where they um do they do um they do state that you know employees are allowed to have a few days um of paid leave that's that's now enforced mm-hmm. so um but beyond that myself um it is very difficult i mean for me to be able to um go beyond that and and grant pay leave for all the employees to a certain amount would be really hard for me. Sure. So, um, you know, it's something that we're looking at. I'm about to open a second place. <laughs> so thanks. Yeah. But it, Can't you know, wait. yeah, but it's also, it, it, it raises another point of as a more than one unit operation, like how do we, how do we move forward and what do we do for our employees? Like who have been with us, you know, since the beginning. Um, but it's difficult. I, I think of Veronica, my line cook, she has, she's going to be a grandmother, um, just in a couple weeks. And, you know, she is, she works every day. And like, if something is happening with her kids, you know, or her, you know, they're having issues, like she can't come to work. And, you know, it's, it's just, you know, you have to say, okay, and you have to obviously deal with it. But in the restaurant business, it's really hard because we're not coming to work and, sitting at a desk, we have to have, we're serving customers and the customers expect the food no matter what is happening. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not, there's no excuse for my cook couldn't come in. So at that point you have to figure out how to deal with it because you can't afford to have extra staff on the payroll. And I think that that really is the crux of this issue is that we do not typically, we have sous chefs, but even sometimes like right now and in D.C. and then nationally, there's a labor shortage in the hospitality industry. So, you know, every restaurant, no matter what kind of accolades they have, are, are strapped to a certain amount. They can't keep extra people on on just in case. And I think that is a huge it's a huge problem, you know. So um, but I think what you speak towards, Amy, is really um, at the crux of this is that uh, when we're talking about paid family leave or when we're talking about fair wage or. Uh, different policies uh, for the restaurant industry. The reason there is, I, I think, uh, a bit of a scarcity of labor right now, and it's happening for all a lot of industries, but especially the restaurant industry, is for a long time it's been known as not uh, a conducive lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. You have to like work every day, weekends, you don't get time off. Um, so 
I think what we're all talking about are going to be benefits for men and women alike. You know, it's just we have to figure out how to uh, offer them in a way that the employer doesn't suffer, but also that, you know, provides for a dignified working, uh, you know, situation. Exactly. But the thing with paid, you know, paid parental leave, let's say, I mean, obviously, and and paid family leave in general, um, because there's so many baby boomers now. So and it usually does fall to the woman to take care of an aging parent, uh, you know, or something. But um, is a little different than because I know like with my mom, too, that's what she says. You know, if if someone's always calling out sick, but yet the law requires how how am I supposed to cover that, you know, as an employer? But on the other hand, if we're talking about a woman who knows, you know, I'm about to deliver my baby at this date and I need these at least however many weeks, you can plan for that. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, and most of the states that have passed the legislation like California, Rhode Island, New Jersey, which is really only about a handful across the country, have uh, it's like a payroll uh, insurance tax. So uh, and it's like a dollar a week, something like that. So that covers the employer, at least it's supposed to, uh, when the employee takes the time off and also the employee who's benefiting from it. Um, so, Well, speaking of that, Joanna, I want you to talk a little bit about the impact campaign that will be complementing your film. I know it's still sort of in the, in the process, but tell me about what you're planning to talk about as part of this in- impact campaign. And I also want to add, I mean, I think what's so great about this current you know, political climate, this current era of activism that we're in right now is that everybody is oftentimes when there's some, when there's an inspiring film or an inspiring documentary on something, there tends to be some sort of action oriented component around that. And I think that that's what you're doing with your film. And I'd like to hear a little bit more about what your, your plans are. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's the golden age of documentaries. So Mm -hmm. I think, um, especially as a filmmaker, when you make a documentary that I mean, this is now almost five years into it. Um, You know, you're so passionate about the cause and committed to what you're uh, doing that we created an impact campaign called the MAP Impact Campaign to um, increase women leadership. And I think that if we can get it right in the hospitality and restaurant industry, it can be a model for really all industries uh, because the restaurant industry is one of the most diverse and hugest labor pool in the country. Unfortunately, when it comes to leadership positions in the industry, that's where the numbers plummet, you know, for women. So um, what we found is mentorship is huge and 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 we really bring men into the discussion because it's important, very important. Yes. And there's some great men who are really uh, realizing that, you know, they have to step up to the plate and be just as involved. And they are. So we love that. We love when we see a lot of men in the audience at our screenings and are taking part in this conversation. Um, so mentorship is a big part. Um, affordable and accessible childcare, uh, you know, in terms of these multinational companies or like f- uh, corporate food service programs mm-hmm. that are really, like Amy said, trying to recruit staff. Um, well, if you provide on-site childcare, that's a huge benefit. And right. they've had global studies showing that like in India, where there's the least amount of women in the workforce, when, um, uh, I forget the name now, but it was a, a huge uh, tech company. They uh, brought on uh, childcare on site, and their numbers ended up going to 40% female engineers. It's incredible. And out of those 40%, 90% stayed on um, when they had kids because of the on site childcare. So you're talking about saving 
so much money in employee turnover and training and, you know, so it's really beneficial. Um, and then uh, paid family leave, you know, that's what we're really advocating for. So our hope is to inspire women, have these important conversations with the screenings, and then uh, do uh, state house screenings, Capitol Hill, to really um, advocate for the change mm-hmm. in policy and business practices too. You know, we're having lots of great screenings with actual businesses and companies because they want to figure out how to make their uh, company more equitable too, because it obviously you're going to then increase a huge talent pool um, because people need to staff right now. So right, right. Um, Amy Judy Lookman from the National Partnership for Women and Families will be joining all of you tonight um, in this uh, discussion around the film. One of the points that she made to me earlier this week, which I found to be slightly surprising, is that one of the largest trade organizations that is opposed to family leave, paid family leave across the board is the National Restaurant Association. Do you have any insight into that? (laughs) Why would the organization that represents restaurants across the country be so opposed? Well, I mean, I'll say the first thing is I don't think they they represent all the restaurants. They represent, from what I understand, usually huge corporations. So, okay. that's clue one, right? Right. I think that's the first point. Mm-hmm. And um, so their their vantage point might be very different from, you know, mine or, or Joanna's. But, um, you know, the National Restaurant Association is a huge lobby industry, and they have huge corporations that pay membership dues. Um, so they represent, you know, I guess, you know, who their members are. So, I mean, I'm not a member of the National Restaurant Association. I think... Um, you know, I don't know. I think it's surprising. It's very surprising though. I mean, it, it, there should be sort of, it kind of, the name kind of implies that it represents everybody. Sure. But you'd have to look up its membership to really see who, who is a member. So it probably represents some of the, like you said, some of the larger, you know, sort of corporate restaurant chains, but from what I understand, that's mom and pop, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, smaller Mm -hmm. um, restaurants that are chef owned. That's my understanding. I don't know one person in my community that's a member of the National Restaurant Association. Oh, which makes doesn't even really make sense then, because you'd think these like huge corporations definitely want to increase their staff and have less turnover and keep costs down. So yeah, you know, you'd think they'd really want to, but see, I think a large part of this is, and I want to engage with the NRA. I mean, National Restaurant Association, if you're listening, let's talk. Cause, um, <laughs> Not to be confused with the National Rifle. Right, exactly. <laughs> don't want to engage with you, right. the other NRA. Because I just think they have a role where they have to educate their um, constituents. And, you know, uh, even if you don't belong to the National Restaurant Association, they have hundreds of chapters across the country, like Massachusetts Restaurant Association or New England Restaurant Association. And, um, and this is a lot of small mom and pops who are trying to figure out uh, how do we do it? You know, we love what we're doing, but it's hard to uh, find the right help today. And we know we have to make a more fair, equitable uh, workflow or else it's going to continue to be hard. So restaurants are realizing they have to adapt and, you know, figure it out or else it's, it's just you're not going to be able to stay in business. So I think they have a duty to really figure out how to um, explain that to their constituents instead of, you know, going against an issue just because they think, oh, it's going to increase some type of uh, cost. 
well, no, not if it ends up decreasing a lot of the other costs, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's, some of it is just a matter of education and we just need to engage in the discussion more. So I would welcome that chance. Absolutely. Um, well, ladies, thank you both so much for joining the Electables podcast today. You're sort of our first non-traditionally political guests. So although Ooh, you are both you. political. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much. So Amy, if people want to check out Centralina, where do they go? Uh, Centralina DC um, on the web and then at Centralina DC on Twitter and Instagram. Great. Yeah. And what is your favorite dish at Centralina? Oh, are you allowed to give a favorite? Gosh, uh, oh, I have so many. They're like all oh, my children. Uh, I guess right now I love my Bianca. It's a pasta made out of scallops and calamari. Oh my god, that sounds so, so good. It's got I, could, I come in at least like I would say probably once every three weeks. Even if well, I sit at the bar at lunch and like grab a salad by myself, I the salads like, are good too. So yummy. The whole everything is so wonderful. Everybody should check it out. You're at City Center in Washington D.C. Yep. And if people want to view a fine line, Joanna, where can they go? Well, please follow us at A Fine Line Movie on all Instagram or Facebook, Twitter. Um, what we're doing right now is building impact for our campaign. So we're hosting screenings. If people want to host a screening or uh, donate a screening to vocational school or culinary school, um, we're basically going across the country. The screening tribute tour is a great way to see the film. Uh, visit our website, afinelinemovie.com, to see when and where we'll be playing. And then hopefully within the near future, you'll see it um, somewhere, you know, on TV or SVOD or whatever. Wonderful. Thank you, ladies, for joining us at The Electables today. For Adrian Elrod, myself, and Doug Thornell, thank you guys. <laughs>